0: Welcome to the Open Bell, a podcast for trumpet players, by trumpet players, and a cornet Guy. I'm your host, Bill Stoman, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow trumpet geeks Joey Tartell and the nearly invisible Brian Appleby Weinberg. This episode of the Open Bell is brought to you by the World Trumpet Federation. We're here for you. Do you love the trumpet? Have you devoted your life to playing and teaching? Just know that the World Trumpet Federation strives to be a resource for your performance, practice, and pedagogical needs. And who relies on the letters WTF more than trumpet players? No one. That's it. Home to the Open Bell Podcast, instructional videos, and informative articles, the World Trumpet Federation exists to serve you, the trumpet playing and music making community. We live to serve. Really. It's the least that we can do. And never let it be said that we didn't do the least that we could do and by Ekman family dentistry are you entirely freaked out when it comes to letting a dentist anywhere near your face wouldn't you like the peace of mind to know that your dentist is actually a trumpet player too At Ekman Family Dentistry, you can expect a complete range of services to meet your personal needs. Dr. Joe Ekman is an accomplished trumpet player with degrees in music and dentistry who will manage your dental care beautifully while keeping your playing career in mind. For a dentist with the chops, literally, to see you through, go to ekmanfamilydentistry.com and tell them the guys at the Open Bell sent you. That's Dr. Joe Ekman, the trumpet playing dentist at Ekman Family Dentistry, One Commerce Boulevard, West Grove, Pennsylvania. And now, if you're a regular listener, you know that we have three segments Warming Up, Couple Things, and No Offense. We use these segments to cover information that Joey, Brian, and I think is important. Gentlemen, shall we? This is a segment we call Warming Up, and it gives us a chance to ease into the show by talking about some things that are on our radar. Brian, we always start with you. And what are the chances you're going to talk about the cornet today? Pretty high. Mm. I <laughs> so
1: would there's have this... bet against it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, yeah.
0: it's a really great
1: uh, website in the UK um, called uh, Four Bars Rest, and they decided to do oh. a few years ago. They decided to do um, a series of top tens. So top ten cornet players of all time was one of their lists, and I'm I'm curious your opinion. We've already talked about Jim Shepard, which is James Shepard. He's, he's ranked number one by them, and I think I can, I can agree with that. Um, Herbert L. Clark's on their list. Arben's on their list. Um, Morris Murphy, um, mm. who the—Maurice Murphy, uh, right? From L.A., uh, from the Star Wars fame, right? Um, Arbin, of course. They include Philip McCann, you know, one of my favorites. Right. They also include Winton Marsalis.
2: Interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: Boamer Krill. What'd you say? They leave off Boehm or Krill, and mm. they include. You Wendy say that herself. like we, we know
2: who that is right off the top. Oh, of the yeah,
1: the so Krill was this unbelievable um, cornet player, uh, and he was he was kind of famous for doing stuff super stunts like um, splitting Carnival Venice by three octaves. Wow. Um, so really screaming, and then p- double pedals and pedal oh, oh, almost
2: notes. Almost like uh, like how Vizzuti arranged at the Carnival of Venus. Thing. Carnival of exactly. like Venus, right? Yeah. Double octave displacements in the melody and stuff. Yeah. yeah.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Winton
0: had a better audition, and he made the list. Is that I, what happened? I
2: guess. Well, yeah. uh, they liked the like the Carnival album.
0: Oh, here it goes. And funny. you know why? Because Joey played on it,
2: I did not play on it. I was actually I was an undergrad at the time. I, I ah. wasn't on that. Uh, I did watch a lot of those rehearsals and did get to see it, and it was spectacular. Mm. Oh, it's spectacular. But, but that's about all of the cornet playing we really have of Winton.
0: Right. right, that's the thing. Isn't
1: that's that it? Yeah,
2: yeah. It's one. It's one record, and it's one great record oh, from it's... the 80s. But it's uh, that's it.
0: Yeah. In addition, I mean that record. In addition to being artistic as it is is the reference recording for all those solos right Right. i mean it is a go-to absolutely it's totally go-to but brian you disagree with that
1: yeah well i mean yeah he's great of course he's incredible i mean he's one of the trumpet musical heroes of the planet yeah for all of us yeah Um, yeah um but i'm not sure he belongs on on that list um and uh Gerard Schwartz did a bunch of cornet albums. Yeah, the
2: cornet favorites album is yeah. spectacular. So, yeah. But that didn't make the list. He didn't make the list. He didn't make, did the, not, list. Did did
1: make the list. I want
0: to know why? Oh, here it comes. Conductor. Conductor. Easy. I'm sitting right here.
2: <laughs> Just trying to help oh, you no. out. I thinking, uh, about, uh, thinking we go.
0: about your own legacy and what there you it is. Behind. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> there it is. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, Brian, thanks for it. Four Bars Rest. They cover all the brass band stuff too, right? Isn't, yeah, they cover the all the contests. Site? Yeah. Yeah.
1: They're all over the place. They they go to all the events um, and uh, they do lots of write-ups. And yeah, it's a, it's a great and interesting um, website.
0: In addition to the corner thing, do they also do a top 10 you found? And yeah, never mind.
1: <laughs> wow. That's not for this show.
0: <laughs> wow. Sorry, wrong, wrong show.
2: Yeah. 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 Get out of that fast.
0: <laughs> Joey, what do you have for us today?
2: I have a very simple question very very simple I think this is one of those things where we don't often think about it we often react to it and then just do whatever is either convenient or necessary or required but in the abstract when you're practicing sitting standing does it make a difference
0: Ooh, makes a difference
2: all right what which way and do you have a preference
0: I do I stand to practice and all, all the time yeah
2: why? I want the why. Give me the follow-up.
0: Uh, I I think for what I'm trying to practice and what I'm trying to build into my playing from a body perspective and a, you know being centered and all those kinds of things, it's easier, better for me to do that standing. If I'm sitting, I'm, I'll tend too much to slouch and not pursue those things in the right way.
2: Interesting. Wow. Alright. Brian, what do you
1: got? So, um, I think it does matter. It does make a difference. And most of my work i do sitting um the orchestra or the brass band but when we're doing a trombomundi get together recording tour um i i weight my practicing towards standing especially if we're going to be performing because we we perform standing up we record sitting um, but we record standing up and it is different for me and so if i'm doing a solo i will also practice standing um, and i'll wait my practice time to that but i I do. I'm right now. I'm doing all of my playing, sitting, just sitting here in the, in the studio, yeah, in the basement and that's what
2: there. made me think about it. Is I, I do I almost all of my practice seated, just because it's more convenient. Uh, I don't. I, I haven't really given it much thought. But as we have students getting ready for performances, and I'll say, okay, let's run that, and invariably, I don't ask them, they will put the stand up, they will stand, and you stand up, and, right. and because that's what the how they're going to do it in the performance. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah that's good. They should be. Doing that, should I be doing that? (laughs) It's one of those things I don't think about a lot in my own practice about where is that balance. Should I be? I will tell you this: there are times when I'm getting ready if I'm going to do a guest solo thing. I'll often, uh, if I'm doing like uh, something with band or jazz band, I'll have recordings that I'll play along with to get get in that get in that groove. And invariably I will go stand, so I'm in front of my speaker, so it's like being in front of that band. Yep, right. But I don't know that I've ever thought of it as, I should be standing because I'll be performing standing. It's because that's the way I can get to where the sound is and how I want to practice it.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So I, I've experimented some with, you guys have been in my office. Um, I've got those.
2: We could be in your office right now and it's so big you wouldn't know. <laughs>
0: There it is. I
2: got lost in your office once. I had a map. I had to find my way out.
0: For the first time you walked by my office and thought I was sitting in a lounge. Yeah. It's enormous oh, and on bill, the corner. All, Bill's in the faculty lounge. No, yeah. this is my office. With all the glass. All the Ugh. glass, right. Yeah. So are, anyway, I have spoiled. these. That's I am totally say. spoiled. And I'm, yeah, I'm not going to try to pretend I'm not. So these mid-height kind of stools in Height. there. Mid-height.
2: Height. There's no H on the end
0: were you correcting my articulation yes i was oh, well, shocking yeah. <laughs> like that's never happened before <laughs> so these mid-height there you go stools because i can i feel like i could still be relaxed especially when I practice for a while but i can still keep the upper body straight there's no back on those so but i noticed too this just happened last week i had a student in sitting on the stool and doing some you know going through some clark stuff and some other things like great let's move on to the solo same thing stood up up. moved the stand couldn't do it seated so that i can't do that interesting
1: yeah in the studio in the studio i'll rotate so some days the chairs are out some days the chairs are not are not out they're stacked in a corner right i I like like playing
2: seated there have been some jazz band situations where well the trumpets Mm -hmm. normally and i'm like we're gonna go ahead and sit
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I wonder, you know, I know we've got an episode coming up on trumpet ensemble pretty soon, you know, and this would be one of the things for us to discuss, because I think what we do in Trombolundi is just the most brilliant way to go about it. We perform standing. So we practice seated always. We also (laughs) also perform in very specific order. Yet, yeah, we don't move to those positions while Never. we're practicing. Never. Because no. that would be too difficult.
2: It's too hard for us to pick up a horn and, and move to another stand. It's we're really, it's, right. it, it can't be done. It cannot be done no. in rehearsal.
0: No. And it, you know, it makes the performance much more exciting because you're hearing things for the first time. Yeah. Oh, you don't know who I know.
2: you're going to be, you don't know who you're standing next I'm not, to.
0: Oh, we have that together.
2: Huh.
0: <laughs> who knew? I didn't know. I didn't know. I no it idea. was my solo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right so bill right. what do you got for us today so i had this thing happen last week and it was it falls under the category of like these i think i like to call this like the least expected day right so like you're not expecting anything to happen anything great and then something really cool happened so had a student of mine come in and he shows up got the backpack no trumpet case okay we must be hey everything all right yeah fine i got a migraine and i'm like Ooh. we'll go home and go to bed, like go get some rest,
2: get out of direct sunlight. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: he said, no, look, I, I, I didn't want to lose the time. Um, and we don't get a chance to talk you know, about things sometimes. And I thought if it's okay with you, um, we could just sit and talk because I feel like I just want to know some more about like trumpet history and this kind of thing. Like he was really sincere about it and a poor guy felt bad for him, but he's like, no, I just kind of want to power and, you know, through it. And... and
2: you've been around since trumpet got valves. Which well, yeah, of I was there. I mean, really,
0: yeah. JB and I, you yeah, know, JB exactly. yeah,
2: HL Clark, you guys right. are
0: tight. Right, we're, you know, buds. Anyway, uh, so the conversation ended up we talked a little about trumpet history and all this kind of thing. And so fast forward, he's now on track to do a senior honors project and lecture recital about the history of the trumpet in Puerto Rico and musicians and composers. His, that's his family ancestry. Nice. His father was born there. And that kind of comes out of the conversation. And we dial this thing in and he is all in and really excited to do this thing. And so I, I'm like thrilled for him. He's a sophomore cool. and he's got this dialed in already that this is what he wants to do. So I guess I'm saying, have you ever had this where, you know, you could have, he could have just texted me and said, Hey, I can't make it. I don't feel well. And it would have been cool. We would have rescheduled, but instead he powered through and he shows up and out of nowhere. Now we have this whole brand new thing that we're following.
1: Like that is totally cool.
0: Like he could have easily missed the lesson or walked away from it, but instead he chose to engage. And as a result, something cool happened. Of it, I think there's a great lesson in there. That's all.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. And, and yeah. that this, but this goes to things we've talked about here before, which is we're not just teaching trumpet. We're trying to engage in a personal relationship one on one with these students to help yep. them grow in whatever way that they're trying to grow. And that shows, you know, that kid knows you're there, yeah. not just to say, Hey, listen, that's an F sharp, not an F natural. You're right. there, like, Hey, can we talk? I have some ideas. Can I run some stuff by you? That's Frankly, part of I, I think I believe I think all of us believe it to be part of the job. I'm not sure that, right. uh, that that's universal, even though we think it should be.
0: Right. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention it was just the coolest thing, and then and then came back for his lesson today, and um, and we had a you don't know, just a regular lesson, but and talked you about beat the, the
2: crap out of him. Today. Oh, just I owed him <laughs> for two two weeks, two weeks back pay, baby. I'm going to ask you one question,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want you to answer me right away. <laughs> Just take a minute and think about it, because you're going to need to answer carefully. Anyway, well, thanks for letting me share that. That was uh, that was just a really cool thing. That's very now, cool. Now listen, I know many of our loyal listeners out there are going to be disappointed because they're going to be missing a round of backboard bingo this week. It's not mm. a thing. It's so not, wait a minute. I know. I finally
2: mm. win one, and that's it. It's over.
0: Well, if, if that wasn't reason enough that we shouldn't do it this week, <laughs> man. Because I just stole one, one out. The only thing worse than you winning would be back-to-back victories.
2: Exactly. I was I mean, excited.
0: I studied all week. And I would think that I'd have to like write five questions about Brian's family, but you apparently you <laughs> know all those.
1: Knows that too.
0: You even know that.
2: Got, got those files ready.
0: The good news is you're going to be happy to know that we're ready for another episode of the Open Bell Mailbag.
1: Hey. All right.
0: That's right. Mailbag. Karen and her crew at the home office have been diligently working to curate today's segment so that our listeners feel like they've been heard. Putting this together and shifting through all the email isn't easy, but according to Karen, we generate more useless commentary than an administrative zoom meeting. But listen, nonetheless, she's done it again. Are you ready? Email number one, gentlemen, Congratulations on the podcast. Listening to the open bell has become a regular part of my week, and I've been recommending it to my students as well. Bravo on a job well done. I'd love to hear you guys do a session on winning a college job. I think that would be great. Everything from how to plan to what to wear. In the meantime, my question is this. I absolutely love the opening theme music and all the introductions to the segments. Can you please provide some details on that music? Mike from Cincinnati.
2: (laughs) well that is awesome uh well uh, thanks first thanks of and, course you know, uh, off to the queen city we, we love we love their chili we love everything about it so uh, the opening theme you want, to, you want to handle that
0: one there, Bill? Uh, sure. Uh, so the opening theme is a piece called Full Mundi that I wrote for Tromba Mundi. Uh, it's an original, and we performed and recorded the piece. And, uh, yeah, it's it's available if anyone it's wants right to play. It's
2: right off
0: of our CD. Yes, it, absolutely. Yeah. What CD was that on? What uh, was that? Uh, I don't remember. There's so many. There's so many.
2: And I can't one, one remember more comes
0: up. Sinfonia Americana, I believe, is the one. Is, that's what it's on. It's on the Sinfonia Americana CD.
2: I don't think so. Okay. I don't think then that's it, right.
0: Then it must be on um, uh, the Quest for Adventure. That's I think it's on
2: Quest for Adventure. Yeah. Is yeah. that right?
0: Yeah, it must be. Yeah, yeah we'll, look that we'll look that up. We'll look anyway, on that up. But anyway, another one coming out soon. It's available. And then, yeah. of course, all the bumpers, as we like to call them in the biz, were, were written and performed <laughs> by Joey. Joey, why don't you talk about that a second?
2: Well, as we are getting ready and kind of figuring out how to format this this the uh, show. We thought, yeah, it, rather than just hear us talk aimlessly for a while, which we'd be happy with, but thought might not go over so well. We thought we came up with the three segments and I thought, well, we're gonna need music. So I said, let me let me try this and I'll run it by you guys. So if you hear the first one, if you're a trumpet player, you know what warming up is. You know that Chickkowitz thing, but it needs a little needs a little tag. It ends a little low. Thought it needed a little extra.
0: Yeah. So that's something.
2: As we go into a couple things, if you haven't figured this out yet, you should hear, here's how this goes. The opening of that. Is the in, the very standard intro to all the things you are, so that's a thing, and then the end of that is a is a quick melody of my favorite thing. So it's literally a couple, a of couple things. Of things, yeah. And then when we get to no offense. Uh, one of my favorite uh, old standards is "Don't Fence Me In." So that's just a tiny little snippet of "Don't Fence Me In." Now, as you just heard. We also have a couple new segments. So from Backboard Bingo, if you haven't figured out B-I-N-G-O, then you're just not paying attention. Yeah. And our mail bag is just a little snippet of Please, Mr. Postman.
0: Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. All Great stuff. All
2: arranged for five or six trumpets, and I've done those all just here in my office.
0: Great. All right. Cool. Second email. Hey, guys. Love the show. Please keep the episodes coming. I love it when you guys tease Brian about not hanging. But recently, I'm realizing that you're not kidding. In fact, I needed to share that over the last three episodes, his voice seems to be getting softer and softer. Is this a technical issue, or is he also now choosing to not hang audibly on the show? Can't wait to hear this answer. Ryan from Roxbury, New Jersey. Yeah, what I think people don't realize is that Brian was a social distancing expert before it was even a thing.
2: Yeah, Brian uh, is actually getting farther and farther away as we're recording. Yeah. Uh, Those of you who've been looking for him on Facebook, he's not there.
0: No, gone. Uh, Gone. So
2: you won't find him there. You can find him on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So that part, if you want to go hunt him down, he's Rowan Trumpet Prof. Is that correct, Brian? Yeah, that's that's
1: correct.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Brian is committed to hanging on a... not hanging on a molecular level right it's, he, it's he so just strong. hates people <laughs> and that includes us i think like, i think if we decided to actually record this in person all in the same room he just wouldn't show up
2: he wouldn't be there
0: no he would pretend for a minute he was gonna be and then then he'd be gone he'd have a thing yeah i gotta go i got a thing i gotta i can't make it <laughs> So, Ryan, thanks for the question. I hope that answers, and we'll do our best technically to uh, make sure that Brian stays in the mix, so to speak. Uh, number three, I hope this isn't too personal. Bill always talks about cycling, and he seems to be really into it as his way of staying fit. It makes me wonder what, if anything, Joey and Brian do for exercise. I'm trying to keep my significant other healthy. He's a regular listener, so I thought he might be inspired to lose some of this quarantine weight if he knew what you guys were up to. Thanks for sharing, and please keep the podcast going. Rachel from Westchester. <laughs>
2: well, what I do is I talk to Bill about cycling, and it just tires me right out. It's exhausting.
1: Brian, <laughs> what are you up to? So I, I run uh, four days a week, and I bike two days a week. Um, well, that's
2: only six days
1: yeah I, I don't do anything on the seventh day and uh, unlike trumpet playing uh, I, I don't do it every day um, but basically everything I do is just trying to keep up with my wife who held our conference collegiate 800 record for 20 years after we graduated Wow and, yeah seriously
2: 20 years
1: 20 years she's a real athlete and um wait
2: you played baseball in college
1: yeah i did play baseball in college yeah you're Mm -hmm. an actual
2: you're an actual athlete okay
1: but but not like not like she i mean you
2: weren't holding any records or anything (laughs) but right
1: i hold one record at oberlin
0: oh what not hanging most
1: most errors in a season
0: is that true do you really
1: yeah i played shortstop as a freshman Uh, freshman year i started at shortstop and uh, yeah, it was not a good good year in the field. It was not a good year at, uh, at the plate either. I think I batted under 200 that year. Oh. Um, my senior year, oh. I won the Gold Glove Award and batted over 300, but not the first year. So nothing
2: wow. but rampant for potential for growth. <laughs> That's right, exactly. I set the bar low. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, but Sarah, Sarah can run. I, I, I tease her, the only time I've ever actually been able to keep up with her while we ran um, was uh, when uh, we were push she was pushing Hannah in a baby jogger. Hannah was four mm. and she was five months pregnant with Kate and we were going up a hill and I had to slow down for her. That's the only time Wait, I've ever been able four? to
2: four like that's a full blown kid. That's yeah. not yeah. like a baby right.
0: pushing her. No,
1: yeah, she was working. And, and in I, her second trimester. In her second trimester and we we're going mm. uphill and then I could keep up with her.
0: <laughs> wow, Joey with the trimester <laughs> <laughs> math. Wow, that's yeah, it's, great. It's, it's really
2: something to divide by three. It's a, wow. it's a whole thing.
0: <laughs> well, Rachel, I hope that helps. Um, <laughs> helps you on your mission there. Hey, email number four. Hey, guys, couple of things. See, we're catching on. Wow, look at that. Hey, guys, couple of things. First of all, love the show and the chemistry between the three of you. is just awesome.
2: Uh, among the three of you.
0: Well, I didn't write this. As a listener, it just seems like I... Drop into a conversation between three good friends every among, week. <laughs> among <three good> friends. <laughs> Very cool. One of my favorite things so far is backboard bingo. I love the game and I learn something new every time. But the real treat is how upset Joey seems to get over this game. No offense, Joey, but your indignation is hilarious. My question for Bill and Brian is Is Joey this sensitive about other things too? Thanks, Vince from Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, that question wasn't uh, addressed to me. No, so it's not. I, I, I would I, just I, say I won't. I won't answer. Obviously,
0: Vince. Thanks for writing it, Joey. A lot of people realize this. He's a very sensitive man. Oh, he really God. is. But ultimately, and I think Brian would agree, he's threatened by things he doesn't understand. <laughs> right, Brian? Would you agree with that?
1: <laughs> he's threatened by everything because everyone's doing everything wrong.
0: That's what it is.
1: And it's, his it's, mission is to correct them.
0: Right.
2: That's, it's not threatening, if I can if I can dive in here, but. <laughs> It, it is frustrating how many people are doing how many things wrong <laughs> for example well bingo with no cards for example okay. <laughs> just as one example
0: hey this is catching on when this comes out on the website as a the play at home version we're going to sell a bunch of these
1: it's going to be killing
0: yeah it's going to be big in texas especially um clearly I I think your frustration by not understanding the game of bingo is what really triggered all this in the first place
2: oh I'm triggered all right
0: (laughs) (laughs) well listen thanks for the question there Vince and uh, thanks to all of you so please keep those cards and letters coming okay boys it's time for a couple of things Today, I wanted to talk about getting it right and not just getting it, right? So whether you want to think of it as settling for a certain level or maybe the inability to get to the details, students often leave plenty of room for growth when learning a new etude, solo, or difficult passage. We often practice until we get things, but do we finish the job and actually practice them until we can't miss them? Getting it isn't enough. You've got to get it right. Worthwhile topic?
2: Huge topic. Great topic. Yeah. When I first got to uh, IU and John Rommel and I became friends and, you know, we didn't really, I didn't know John at all before I got here. You know, he's a great teacher. He's a great player. And so, you know, we agree on most pedagogical things. We explain things differently and we've had wildly different performing careers. And we got talking about how, you know, we came up and he asked me, what is it about Barbara Butler? You know, mm. because, boy, you know, she's obviously done, she does great stuff at Eastman. She did great stuff at Northwestern. She did great stuff at Rice. She's getting all these great students. You know, often, often there are students that are auditioning for us and for them. And often if they get in there, we'll go there. And I think there's a little frustration there. And I said, I can explain this. When Barbara works with you, she shows you this is the bar. It has to be this good mm. or it's not acceptable. And a couple years later, we were up uh, actually at ITG up in uh, Grand Rapids, and Barbara was doing a master class. So I walked in. We we got to chat a little bit. It was very nice to reconnect. And then John came in and sat right next to me. And she started working with this student. Student played something, and she's she's very nice uh, but very firm. Okay, here's what I need from you. I need this, and I need this, and I need this. And the student starts says, "No, I need this, and I need this." Here's what I'm going to show you. I'm going to sing it. I'm going to demonstrate. It. I'm going to show you. But I need this, and it's unrelenting until that's what I'm looking for. Now do that again. Let's hear that. And John just leaned over and went, okay, I see what you mean. You know, And the idea there, and th- I've tried to emulate at least parts of this in my own teaching, is that if you come in, if I ask you to play an etude or play a solo or play anything, and what you start with is, well, okay, i got to make sure I get all the right notes in the right order. You've started wrong. Because we're playing music, so the idea of well, I'll wait until I figure that part out or get it under my fingers or whatever until I add the music. You've all you're you're, you're starting way, 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 way in a bad place. You've got to start immediately with the idea that we're learning music that may provide some uh, have some technical problems as we go, but it's integral to the learning process that that's part of it from the beginning, and I think that's very often the first part that gets left out. Students, when they look at things, are like, okay, like we look at an Arban's characteristic Study. What do we see? A page of 16th notes. Or if you're in Tom and Jen's version of the Arvinds, two pages of 16th notes. <laughs> and By the way, if I could take just a second to thank them so much for resetting and fixing an awful lot of typos. It's the cleanest. I've never seen anything that looks better. But, oh, my gosh, they changed all the page numbers, and it still drives me crazy. Yeah, I know it's I'm an crazy. old man. I know I got it. But I, I know the page numbers. Now when I say, turn to page four, no, that's not where that is. Turn to page four, no, that's not where that is. <clears throat> so I haven't learned the new page numbers.
0: Well, but- yeah, the old, the old numbers did correlate with the tablets. I can attest to that. Yeah. But
2: so,
0: um, <laughs> you're welcome. Wow. Come on. I can't <laughs> let that hang in there. You guys have really <laughs> when, got to step up your Arvin game.
2: came down <laughs> from the mountaintop, I,
0: <laughs> I, I bring you, to you. <laughs> these 25 crash, these 14 you're out. characters. You're out.
2: <laughs> So with the idea, you look at this full page of just 16th notes and think, crap, okay, i got to learn all these notes. Okay, wrong. You have to learn how to play a piece of music, and you got to start from that place. And then if you're not playing music and technically well, essentially I tell my students all the time, you have to essentially do two things. You've got to play the trumpet well and you've got to make music. And I just did a master class recently for one of my former students who's teaching, and she said, come talk to my kids because we're all on Zoom. And I said, this is what you got to do. She goes, I want you to talk about auditioning for grad schools. And I said, this is, I'm going to make this really, really simple. If you walk in and play great, you're going to get in. We're, n- schools aren't turning away great players, right? But that means playing the trumpet really fundamentally well and making music. And one of the kids says, well, if you had to pick one over the other,
0: which <laughs> would you go with? Mm. And I
2: laughed and I said, they are co-requisites. Mm. And so the idea of how you're practicing starts from that standpoint, just from where you start, is often a big problem, if I can just put that out there from a starting point.
0: Agreed. Yeah, I, I think this, this is the thing for me, like, with students cultivating in them a vision that is enough to know the difference, right? Like, they have to know what they're aiming for. What's the target? know, what is an acceptable level? That's like, you know, that's so cool to hear about Barbara's teaching that she just sets the bar there and just says, no, 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 this is it, you know? Um, and I think it's why we play for students and why we provide them with really great recordings and all that is so that we can start to build in them, you know, their vision, the template in their mind for what, how that's supposed to sound. Um, I don't think it's right that Brian does everything on a cornet, but you know what? That's up to him.
1: <laughs> he'll, he'll figure it out. They need to hear a real sound. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah, Brian. What do you think about this? Uh, what do you think about this idea? And what have what have you done with students to try to get them to that? You know, get them to that next level faster.
1: I think it's I think it's all a process. And one of the things that um, I like to talk about is that their method of learning an etude or a solo of playing from the upper left to the bottom right um, is not the shortcut. I'm teaching the shortcut, <laughs> mm. that doing these small units, figuring out how to patch them together, um, attacking your problems, doing lots of repetitions. That is the fast way. Their way is infinitely long because they never get there.
0: Right. <laughs> well, this is, this is the thing. I, I talk about Keith Johnson a lot on this one. You know, one of the things that Keith would, would have us do is he would identify a spot in the middle of an etude, never upper left-hand corner. And would pick something I could identify and say, this is what I want to say musically. This is the way I want it to sound. And something you could really zero in. And then that would kind of become the timbral qualifier, if you will, right? The model for the rest of it. And then once you start backing up and building into that and then moving forward a little bit, but mostly backing up and backing up and heading into familiar territory, you learn much faster. And you're learning it correctly the first time.
1: Yeah, and I, I do have a couple of techniques, specific techniques that I use that I've stolen from people. Um, so I was, um, a few years ago, my, one of my daughters was taking viola- violin lessons with a close friend of mine um, named Velissa Wilworth. I um, actually met her, um, I knew her in Cleveland. We were at the Cleveland Institute together. We taught together in northern Michigan at and Arts Camp. Um, and her father was Paul Wilworth. He played second in Boston. Um, for several years before he ended up teaching at Central Michigan. Um, and she was teaching uh, Kate a violin lesson. And I heard her talking about um, playing things half fast. And uh, I was just reading a book in the next room. And and so Kate was playing these series of 16th notes. And uh, she played the first two 16th notes really slowly and played the next two 16th notes into the fifth 16th note really fast. And then she did that a few times. And then she reversed it, the first two really fast and the last two really slow. Mm -hmm. And then she, slowly, and then she put the fast ones in the middle. So the two middle 16th notes were very fast and the outside 16th notes were slow. And then she reversed that. And then she did what I had um, done growing up, which was a dotted eight 16th rhythm um, and then reversing the dotted eight 16th rhythm. and I was fascinated, so I just went running in and asked her you know, about it, and we talked about it, and she had written down the, the rhythms for Kate. So I did a, a, a sheet um, for my students. I also added, um, for 16th notes, playing the first one slowly and then the next three fast, and then reversing that as well. So there were like 12 different variations, and lots of people do lots of different things. But I think it's really important um, you know, a finger dexterity, a physical dexterity standpoint to do those things. The other thing that I do is, um, uh, was taught to me by Jason Solomon. I think we've talked about him before on this show. He's a bass trombonist, um, from IU and he's had some great he, conversations with Joey. I know Joey thinks he's fantastic. He Jason's fantastic. Thing, yeah, Jason's great. He's incredibly smart. He's got a ton of really informative videos. He's got an amazing, um, rhythmic development thing, um, that i think is fascinating um but he's also um did a master's in kinesiology when he was at
2: while IU. he was doing his doctorate in trombone also did a master's in kinesiology yes yeah, so I, qu- no, I was actually uh, i'm sorry just for a second i was there to uh, advise him on the way and for the graduate advising for the brass students he sat down and i said oh so he says well listen uh I want to do this, but I'm also going to be doing a master's in kinesiology, and I've mapped this all out, and I think this is probably all right. And I said, that maybe I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> and so I got the director of graduate studies to come help us talk through, and yeah, he was totally dialed in. And totally on it. But a very, very thoughtful, smart guy who's got a lot of great stuff together.
1: So he has this method, um, and he calls it um, fast practice. And he's got a, a video on it, um, which involves at tempo or before or faster than tempo playing one note and then adding one note forward through the passage that you're trying to work on and then and I'll tell you why he does this and then adding going to the end and adding one note backwards Um, and then in the middle if there's still problem um, notes or areas playing those one note at a time and adding a note in front and adding a note in back and building out um, so there are, so, there are two, two main reasons I think that he gives. Um, and uh, the first one is that there are, you know, he doesn't say don't practice slowly, and so we all practice things slowly and I think that's important. But um, he says in terms of the physics, at a fast tempo, the torques on the bones and the muscle and the instrument are different at a fast tempo than they are at a slow tempo. Um, And so just the physicality of playing fast is different um, than it is playing slow, and so um, there may be, you may find that actually it's different physically at a fast tempo than a slow tempo. The other thing is, um, he says that there's been research that when we play things slowly, Um, our brain passes that information down. We do that analysis and our brain passes that information around to several different areas of the brain for analysis in real time while we're playing at a slow tempo. And that, that builds those neural networks that are a certain length. And that you may in fact get to a point where that neural network is too long for the speed of the passage you're trying to play. And so you have two choices. One is to have a cap on how fast you can actually play that, or build build <laughs> a that would, wants that. S- sort of spontaneously build a fast a neural network that's shorter. Um, and so I think I think those things are fascinating. Um, and so the half fast thing sort of feeds into that for me. Um, and it does take a while, and it can be frustrating. It turns out that um, when you add a note to, so you've played like five or six notes, and you add one, your brain actually kinda has a freak out and it imagines that the context of every note that you're playing had changed because you added one note. So there is a degradation of your ability to play even the notes you've already practiced. It takes three or four repetitions to get back that stability. And then once you do, then a few more repetitions, and then that's in place. Then you add one more note, Um, and it's just fascinating. Um, And I've I've tried it. I've done it um, in a lot of very fast passages that I've had to play, Um, and it's also helped my um, speed of single tonguing um, to improve. I now we're talking. (laughs) I lost. um, That's (laughs) a funny story. I guess when I was in graduate school uh, at Rutgers doing my doctorate. In, in the course of a week, I lost almost 30 clicks on my single tongue. I don't know what happened. It was like I had a stroke or something. I think it was just a time when I was. No offense, No GM. offense, <laughs> JM, um, that, that I was having, I was doing some pretty radical um, technique changes with Pete, my teacher, um, and I just lost it. And uh, And I've spent the um, better part of 20 years trying to get it back. I'm back uh, single tonguing over 130 now, um, and, in part because I talked to Jason and we decided on a sort of a daily plan of existing on the edge with your single tongue where you can't really do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but pushing that envelope a little bit every day. And after just a few weeks, the single tongue went, went up dramatically.
0: Well, just so you know, you guys, cause we haven't been together in a while. I can also, uh, single tongue past one thirty now. It used to be noon, but, but now but, I,
2: but, and and those are but, that, those are quarter notes at one thirty. Yeah,
0: day. yeah. I, you're you're talking about the afternoon, right? Yeah, because exactly. mornings, forget it. Yeah, no, you know no, what I'm saying.
2: You're, 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 all then.
0: you You got to get it going. You're watching yeah. TV
2: and on, a, and on a bicycle.
0: Of course, yeah. while I'm practicing, isn't that so what you guys
2: there, do? No, there are two things <laughs> I, I want to focus on. What you just talked I about. I think and, you mean a couple of things. Yes, uh, there are a couple <laughs> things in your couple things that I think are really important. To, I want to pull out and and shine a light on. And one of them is. The daily repetition, the idea of if you want to do this, it's not something where, okay, I practiced this Monday, now I've got it, and then the performance is next Sunday, so I don't need to worry about it. <laughs> that steady, slow and steady wins the race, all those kinds of cliches that are out there, a lot of those exist for a reason because there's truth in them, right? So that daily, 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 over and over and over and over again, smart practice will do this. But then the other part of this that we were talking about um, was the uh, repetition, right? So you're saying it'll take you three or four times. And my students are very used to this. They'll play something, uh, and and I'll say, wow, that sounded pretty good. And most of them at that point start raising the horn up because what I'm about to say is, do that again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my first teachers said, yeah, once could be luck. Twice might even be good luck. But, mm-hmm. you know, I want to hear that and so that you actually own that. And there are all kinds of cliches that go with this. You know, you know, uh, you know, don't practice until you get it right, practice till you can't get it wrong, you know, right. perfect practice makes perfect performance, all those kinds of things. And there's truth in all of those things. Way too many students and way too many professionals, frankly, they'll go until, okay, I got it right once, I'm now done. Right? And <laughs> just thinking from a straight odds standpoint, if I've played this 10 times and my <laughs> first nine times were fold, 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 all the way through nine and then 10, wow, I got one past the goalie. Oh, I'm done. I'm now batting 100 to mix all kinds of sports metaphors in there. Right. right.
0: Good <laughs> lord, my brain hurts now. You're bowling 100. <laughs> um, what yeah, you know, what made me think of is I I think uh, years ago I remember Hokan coming out with this idea of flash practicing on Clark 2. Do you remember this no, when no. this was a thing? Like do do da ga do 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 and then reversing it.
2: I gotta get sure. it, 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 right. Very similar to what Brian was talking about. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Like yeah.
0: you're just changing that stuff. Uh, Hogan you know, also talked about
1: um, that daily. He said, "Every day that I'm pre- that I play, every day, some part of my technique is trying to leave." And I heard him talk about this in master class. He was leaning over a piano. Wow. A piano, <laughs> and nice. he said, it's trying to go somewhere. And he's like it reaching over the piano. It appears he's got a trying, pretty
2: good containment field. He's
1: yes. got a very good plan. Yeah. So he said, so that day, whatever that part of my technique is that's trying to leave, I'm trying to bring it back. And Mm -hmm. so he said he's constantly doing that. And he was like, oh, gesturing over over a piano, which is pretty funny. Yeah, I
2: mean, we just talked about the thing a couple weeks ago, which is, you know, addresses a lot of technical issues in the morning. And I was talking about put the metronome on, um, and I don't designate a metronome Uh, you know, tempo it should be, because I think that you want to keep pushing that idea. And for me, what does I do? I keep pushing that idea and pushing the idea with the idea of if I do an entire study and it's good, then the next day it goes up one click. And if it's not good, it goes down one click. And then you just keep going forever, right? right? But it keeps you honest because there are days, you know, you might fall into it like, oh man, that wasn't, oh, I've gone down two days in a row. That's not okay. And
0: there's nothing better to test that than all four Clark studies. Oh my god, <laughs> those are the so wow. I'm doing number those seven the... at thirty-five. <laughs> at thirty-five. Yeah. Number seven at <laughs> 35. <laughs> thirty-five. And not before one thirty. Right.
1: Well, not no. before 1:30. No. Not for you.
0: Um, no. So and how much of this too, you know, is, is important is the kind of feedback, you know, Joey, you've talked before about recording yourself and listening to it right so yes. let's say a student is trying to repair something you know i for this week alone i had a couple a couple new students coming in playing art of phrasing melodies right and you know how often they get in there and oh it's a little you know it's it's not as shaped as it could be they're grazing a few here and there and a couple of chips and you're thinking like did you listen to this right did you really listen and is that ultimately the musical product that you want and and i think that's an important thing to br- bring up in this too in developing that vision for what is You know is there a perfect what is how close can we get you know to getting it absolutely right and what you want on a musical on the musical plane on a you know um, on a technical plane and all that because if not if you listen to it and then you do it yourself and you don't get any feedback you end up you just go on thinking you sound like bud you know what I mean? Yes. Right. Oh my
2: gosh. <laughs> so true. But I don't
0: understand. This, I sound just like Bud.
2: But this is, this is often a hard thing to deal with students who uh, are, will say that. They're like, what? Well, I, I thought that sounded good. And that's why I, I think I have found in my own teaching that I end up playing more in lessons with yeah. younger students to show them this is where this goes. Okay, this quick story from my undergrad. I, I There was one semester where Barbara was off playing with the St. Louis Symphony where Charlie taught everybody. So I was studying with, with Charlie for that semester and I came in and I had the first lesson of the day. So I, I'm waiting at the door as the school opens, he walks in, his horns are in the office, you know. And I was playing, uh, I think it was uh, one of those toots in E-flat. And I play all the way through and it's not very good. It's fuzzy and it's little chippy and, and he just looks at me. He walks over to the window, opens his case, takes his horn out takes a second, and then he plays the etude, and it's sparkling, it's really great. Mm. And he says, can you make it sound more like that? And (laughs) I I laughed, and I said, if I could make it sound like that, I wouldn't need to be here. I did actually say that, he did laugh. But the, the, the point was, up until that moment, I didn't know that was a level that was achievable. Right. You know, which is uh, like, I, I thought, well, I might be able to make this sound like a pretty good etude, where Charlie made that sound like an actual piece of music. And I sound like oh, music, right. I've been aiming way too low and I didn't even know it. And I think that's a, a, a common thing among students thinking, well, again, like, oh, I get all the right notes in all the right order and I'm kind of in time. I, I, I'm good. But that's not the goal. The goal is, does this really sound like music? Yeah. And, and, and that's where that bar has to be. And so if I can help show that in my own playing or sharing recordings with students to really show them, this is where you're going. This is where you should be aiming. That's really, really vital to this
0: process. And, you know, I got, I think we all play in lessons. I think that's why it's so valuable. And especially for younger students coming in, maybe not have been around someone who has devoted as much time to it as we have, or have the opinions that we have. And my challenge to them is like, look, you know, there's, there's someone outside the office door. I don't want them to know which one of us it is. And that's not saying I want them to end up sounding like me, ultimately. I would love for them to go past that and to create their own thing and be the most phenomenal trumpet player they can be. But, but ultimately while they're here, Can you get in such a place where musically and sound-wise you can match and you can do it? Your ear will allow you to get to that point, which I think is really important.
2: Here's an exercise I do. We talked about some specifics. So I do this with etudes. I'll say, okay, I'm going to play bar one. You're going to play bar two. I'm going to play bar three, right? So whatever the Mm -hmm. etude is, and I say the exact same thing. If somebody happens to be walking down the hall, I want them thinking that's one person. So I want us matching not just matching sound, which is important, but matching style, matching, you know, all of those things as we go through. Can you, and that, it's a really good exercise because then it forces those students' ears to go, oh, I don't sound like that. I'm not playing like that. And it helps them kind of pull them along into that maybe a little quicker.
0: Do you know what works really well for that are the Chickowitz flow study books, this thing that Mark Doolin oh, and Mark, and Mark Mike
2: Doolin and Mike Chickwitz
0: put, put together. So yeah. there's the two volumes. There's the the Long Tone Studies book, mm-hmm. but then there's the other one that is the Flow Studies book. And yeah, it's well, got
2: lots of, lots of etudes in there. A by
0: different composers and all yeah. that. But those things, because they're, they're just really wonderful diatonic studies, work great for, sometimes I'll go line for line. Mm-hmm. So I'll play the first line. You play the second line just to establish a bit more. The other thing it does too, I think it helps in sight reading and audiation, right? Because they have to jump in, in the middle of a phrase, right. Or the middle of an idea,
2: but you've also got to be hearing it all the way through
0: exactly. And that book works really well for that. It really does. Yeah. And do the same thing in, in their solo rep, whatever they're working on there too, right? I mean, it's, it's just the ability to match it. And I think being in the room is different from hearing the recording. You know, right. it, we all know that. You yes, know, absolutely.
2: What... Although, you know, good reference recordings are a good thing. And I don't think a lot of uh, students play along with reference recordings, which is a really good idea. I say this with both excerpts and with solo recordings. If you're playing along, like I have a student working on the canon, and Ray Mace's canon is
0: mm-hmm.
2: great, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's sparkling. I, I, it's my favorite recording of that piece. I'm like, if you play along and you're matching him, then you're right. If you're matching right. sound and style and pitch and all that kind of stuff, if, if you're really, like, right with him, you're doing it you right. Know, so that's do good. that.
0: Well, something that- we never say on this show you're doing it right (laughs) doesn't it it comes down to practicing discipline ultimately right so even if you're doing you know great episode on the thing and joey your videos on the on the world trumpet federation website are great anybody that wants to know how to do it uh, and follow that process but even in that there's a training yourself not to accept something else right? right you're practicing the discipline of getting it right not just getting close
1: and if you're playing along with a recording, I, th- I think it, it can illuminate so many things for you. Um, I remember uh, the audition one year for the orchestra at Oberlin was um, Mahler One. And uh, so I knew that in the summer, and um, I lived I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, so I went to University of Michigan library, and I checked out the oh, trumpet great. one part, and, yeah, and, I, and I copied it, and I took it home, and I, I got a recording of um, Chicago Symphony, Bud Herseth doing Mahler One. And I worked out the transposition and I was playing along and there was a, there was a lick, um, just a quarter note and two eighth notes, little passage, and I, I played along and I practiced it and then I got to that point on the recording and what I, what I played was and what came out of the speakers was di ta di ta di ta di ta ta. I was like, "Wait a minute!
0: I don't understand the problem."
1: <laughs> <And> <laughs> like that's something very different than what I'm. Uh, doing. right. And I l- looked at the music, and there are these tenudos over every note. And you know, as a as a summer after my freshman year of college, like this awakening of how much more the text means mm. than I was giving it credit for. Oh. So,
0: are are you saying then that you also held the record for most errors in Mahler One <laughs> right. in that same season? Was that is that possible? After when
1: I started to learn stuff after, oh, first
0: okay, in baseball and trumpet, baseball you held the record trumpet. for most errors yes. in a season.
2: We may need to start keeping a tally of uh, the errors in our next rehearsal. Uh, well, we'll need a scorekeeper. Wow. Nobody can count that high. Yeah. No. That's going to be a problem.
0: That's gonna involve a really complex database. A clicker. It and would be a funny clicker. though. clicker. Yeah. Although I knew of a teacher at one point who did that in lessons. Students would come in to play scales <laughs> and they would keep track of the errors on the computer keyboard. So as you're playing, you would hear, every time you chipped one or missed <laughs> no, one, you'd hear, no, that's click, mean. Click, click, mean. That's brutal. click, 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 click. Yeah. <laughs> brutal. That's I did hear a
1: story of a, a brass quintet um, rehearsing in I think in Boston One of the schools in Boston And I don't know Whether it was Gun- Gunther Schuller No it wasn't um, It was uh, it was another teacher Who was convinced that You can never tap your foot And was really Like adamant about not tapping your foot mm. And um, He said In rehearsal you have to stop tapping your, your feet To the, to the quintet and um, and then he said it again, and uh, and then he got out a hammer.
2: This is no. I told you this story.
1: You told me this story. This
2: is my brass quintet. This
1: is Charlie Geyer. He hit somebody mm. in the foot. He hit my trombone player on the foot with a hammer. <laughs> yeah. I heard this in in I heard this in like graduate school. I. It's think. a
0: legend. Yeah.
2: No, I was you... this Charlie was like, don't tap there... your, you, you shouldn't tap That's your foot fantastic. in chamber music because then you're telling other people where the time is, and what if you're wrong. Right. don't do it he warned yeah. us and then charlie guyer had a hammer in his office and he hit
1: somebody in the foot
0: yeah he, well, t- he okay. just smacked him on the foot with a hammer who doesn't keep a hammer in their office I, one thing i mean you can't well you I guys know how handy <laughs> i am i'm not even sure where the hammers are in my house well i i know this, this is isn't true. on topic but i also know we have some band director friends listening i have a solution to this you just tap your foot inside your shoe
2: yes and actually yeah. charlie said you, that if you, you don't get caught do that, now if you're wearing sandals or flip flops, one don't wear flip flops, two,
0: don't wear sandals. sandals.
2: And if you're wearing sandals, let's just take a second. No socks. If you're wearing sandals while we're there, no socks. Thanks for clearing that up. Done, over. There's no discussion to be (laughs) had here. So just wear shoes. And it's probably not
1: okay to hit students in the foot with a hammer.
0: Not anymore.
1: Either.
2: Yeah, i I don't think it was okay then. It was certainly not okay now.
0: How about shorts, Joey? Are shorts okay with sandals?
2: shorts are always okay
0: right even yeah. in the dead of winter oh in yeah. pennsylvania
2: right. or yes. in rochester new york right <laughs> oh my gosh
0: where, where you single-handedly made that the fashion for winter I, I,
2: i'm not sure it ever caught on but and, uh, i was committed
0: <laughs> and another time when you weren't getting it close you were getting it right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at least i think so absolutely well i think this was an important one to talk about um and i think as as we're all you know back and we're working now this is this is it right set the bar high whether it's you know you're the teacher setting it for students or you're the student setting the bar for yourself don't accept less than you're capable of doing and whatever that means time wise that you need to put in to get it you need to get it get it right don't settle don't settle well now it's time for no offense As trumpet players, we often become hyper-focused on just that, the trumpet. It never dawns on us that the stuff we learn in music history or music theory has anything to do with our efforts to become the best, most <laughs> musical trumpet player that we can be, right? So to that end, if you're not constantly applying music history and especially music theory to your daily practice, no offense, you're doing it wrong.
2: <laughs> yeah, I have. I think I've talked before... When I first started teaching lessons, it was obviously a bunch of little kids, you know, sixth graders. And, and I start with one major scale a week. And I have a why. I, I, you know, I, I don't like teachers who say, you do this because I say you do it. I want students to know why they're doing stuff. I think it's important. So if a student says, well, why do I do this? I said, well, all Western music comes from the, the major scale, minor scales, modes, all that kind of stuff. It starts there. So you need to have a command of that. And so now that I'm teaching college, there are times where students come in, and I'll listen to play through something, and they said. Can you tell me what that is? I was just working with a student last week, and we were working on um, uh, Neruda, first member Neruda, and she's going to play this on her upper divisional, and she had been, we'd learned it on B flat, but then she got her hands on an E flat trumpet, said, I'm going to try this. So she came in, and she had the E flat part, except the cadenza. So she Mm. sounded really good, by the way. I was like, wow, you've never played E flat before. Nice work. So we get to, and then we're working through the cadets. I said, "Well, well, I haven't written this part out. I said, well, you can transpose. She goes, well, I haven't really totally got it. I said, well, what is it? What do you mean? Like, what scale is that? Well, as written, so then you can just move the scale. You know the scale. And then what chord are you coming down? This is where music theory comes in handy. You can recognize those patterns, and then you're not even really reading. You just boom. You just see that pattern and go. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's really the way to go. And then the same thing uh, applies with music history. You need to know, if I'm playing something in the Baroque style, that would, what kind of attacks are called for? You know, how am I going to play this? Are these notes? What does long mean? What does short mean in this context? So that mm-hmm. you sound like you're actually playing in the right century. Those things are
1: very important. What well, ornamentation are you using? Yes. Uh, would Mary Sear want to hit you with her book? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: Uh, And I like for this to go the other way as well, because there are things that we have and do as trumpet players that will help you in theory, and especially in ear training classes, some kinesthetic referencing, right? Go ahead and move your fingers as you're singing intervals, because some of that is building more than you know. Look for the overtone series and melodies that you have to sing, right? Because you know, to your ear, you know what that sounds like. I think it can actually work both ways, but how often do we do that? Right. When I was teaching way back in the, in the old days, teaching theory and sight, sight screaming and ear straining, which nice. is what I like to call it. Yeah. Um, actually, sometimes for melodic dictation, I would play or I would have students play those melodies for dictation. So it just wasn't always coming off the piano. Sure. Right. Because first of all, if it was in the piano. It was always going to be in the key of C. Because that's my <laughs> that's my key man. More to
1: do with your piano I, chops.
0: I own that. I can do that. um But you know, there are ways I think to tie that in and make it more accessible, more applicable to what we do.
1: Well, you also do a different thing, Bill. When you you talk about note grouping, um there's mm-hmm. a great book on on phrasing that's called Notebook Note Grouping by Thurman.
0: Yeah, and from the Naval Academy. Yeah, I
1: think it's fantastic. Um, but you do a note grouping in terms of the idiosyncrasies of the instrument, how the instrument operates triadic stepwise motion mm-hmm. turning around leaps and bracketing stuff on how the trumpet works and then how the ear can can latch onto that in in complicated melodies which i think is fascinating.
0: Well yeah, so i am overlapping like, you know, so we've talked about urban characteristic studies a couple times here tonight, right? So um so, you know, you look at that, it's hard not to look at and see all the, the harmonic progression that's going on there. And what a great way for students to start to pick up on that. But then I think there's another layer, you put another template over that where you start to see this open, open, two, two, one, one, right? You start to see these patterns that exist that are just so specific to the trumpet. Um, and that's that other layer over the top of it. Yeah, I'm always looking for that stuff because uh, I needed to. I don't read well enough not to use all that. Right. You know what I mean? Well, it, it, it absolutely helps your reading if you start if you sure. see a
2: big pattern, like take characteristic study number six. Right? There's as it comes back in for the recap. What do you have? You have descending diminished, right? You see that you're not reading. You're just playing diminished chords.
0: No, you're just playing it right in a row. Right. And Let's go through. What amazes students sometimes, you know, right? They'll come in and you'll say, "All right, so what? What key are we in?" <laughs> I, I, oh. Oh, well then, you know, right. Well, if you've established that it's G minor, then you're not going to be caught off guard by the F sharp so much, right? But then eventually you get better at doing it on the fly. You don't have to take a half hour to sit down and analyze something. You're just doing it on the fly as you go. And that's the goal, I think, to get to that point.
2: Right, you want to be able to look at something and have that information built in. Yes. You look at something and you can recognize, you know, key structure. You can see where it's going. You can even recognize some scalar patterns as you're going and say, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, okay, that makes total sense. So you're not going, No, 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 no. Nobody wants to hear that. Right.
0: And and why not why not go ahead and use when you're working on theories or sight singing melodies, whatever you have to do, ear training stuff, why not bring the trumpet into that as well?
2: Oh, that's the only way I got through those classes because boy, my piano chops are I would guess much worse than yours. Uh, my know. left hand is basically a hook on which I can hang a trumpet. So when you're like working through these melodies, I just had my C <laughs> trumpet out and I would play them so I could sing them and play like so I could get them in my ears that way. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say the same Put thing. Put those the, two things together.
0: The left hand got intended to hold the instrument. <laughs> exactly. And that is, that is it. So you know, when I was teaching that class, I would say, all right, our next harmonic dictation is in E flat major and I'm playing it in C, <laughs> right? And here's Doe, boom. And the next one is in D, and I'd play Doe and they would just giggle because they knew, <laughs> <laughs> they all knew I was just playing in C for everything. Yeah,
2: so the class I was in during my undergrad had a, a disproportionate number of people with perfect pitch. Yeah. So when mm-hmm. they would say, you know, here, and so I'd watch these people just writing down notes because they could just hear them that way. I do remember the one time I heard, okay, this is in D flat, and he played the first chord, and I'm scribbling down trying to get this right, and I watched half the heads in the class pop up and say. That's not D flat. Mm-hmm. And the teacher looked out and he says, For the purposes of this exercise, we are in the key of D flat. And I thought, I think I'm winning now. You're so winning. Now. <laughs> You're the I only wasn't one. sure exactly what was happening. Yeah. I was definitely in the minority of that class. So. Yeah.
0: One of my uh, theory teachers at North Texas went to Eastman undergrad and said she was the only person in her class that didn't have perfect pitch. <laughs> I
2: wasn't the only one, but boy, there were a lot of people there that had. Well,
0: and she said the instructor just wouldn't say. She would just start, and she'd have to raise her hand and go. I look. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I really don't know what's happening right now. I need
1: a letter to start with, please. Yeah, give me
2: yeah. some reference, absolutely. Yeah.
0: But I, I just think you know, and look at what we talked about earlier about you know about getting it right, and you know, and not getting close. This is a way to be better at getting it right because you have so much more information right away, and you're operating on multiple levels at once, which is the real, which is the real key.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, if you're not doing it this way as the t-shirt says you're doing it wrong you're just doing it wrong you're just doing it wrong well listen that about does it for today thanks for joining us on the open bell stay tuned subscribe to whatever works for you we appreciate your patronage patience and perseverance so long for now remember to keep an open mind but more importantly an open bell